Welcome into Inside LAFC. I am Max. I always forget to mention, please subscribe, tell a friend, rate and review. We appreciate it. Kind of a slow week. Not a lot going on. I was considering maybe not doing a podcast this week, but I quickly reconsidered, A, because I like doing them, and secondly, just to keep a catalog going, you know? You don't want to lose momentum. So we do have a very exciting guest, but I, I kind of coming things a different direction. Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic, who we've had on the show before. We're going to talk about South America and this new rule, the young player rule, which I don't think it's been etched in stone with a name, where you can have like a junior DP situation going. Not DP money, but very good money. And um, it's a chance for clubs with uh, that are going to get after it, which LAFC is one of them. And with their track record already in South America, I think they're going to pursue this. I would be surprised if they don't get a player under these guidelines at some point this season. And they're allowed. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that whole interview with Felipe, but he's been covering Atlanta United, which has had the most uh, eventful offseason bringing in Gabriel Heinze, uh, the coach. Many of you remember as a play, a player. Uh, Heinze, I, I mispronounced his name in the interview. I've already recorded the interview, so I'm correcting it now so I can sound cool. But I always sound cool, right? So Gabriel Heinze, and he brought in three very different but exciting prospects to help get Atlanta United back to where they want. And I, you know, Atlanta United is a franchise that needs to do well in Major League Soccer. To, it's a, a team that can get national attention. And they're doing what LFC is doing, recruiting into South America. And that connection is just going to get fortified because of these clubs and a few others. So we'll talk to Felipe. He's really, really good at what he does on a national level, I might add as well, even though this is an Atlanta United story. So that's coming up. So what did happen this week? Well, Kim Moon-Juan has arrived. He's in the United States. You know, moving from a foreign country in this climate is not comfortable. And I'm relieved that our, the team that we have with Ben Chi leading the way, Rich Orozco and the content team making his landing as soft as possible and helping the adjustment period begin immediately is huge. So this is a guy, and we talked to John Thorrington last week. This is a guy that they have been scouting for a long time, and they see him as the right back, and they hope that he can eat up games and minutes and be there for a long time. It also happens that he's Korean, and we know that there's a huge community here in Los Angeles. I, I consider myself part of it. I, I married into a wonderful Korean family. My son, Maxi, who really identifies himself more Korean than Cuban. That's my bad. My bad. I got to work on that. I got to buy him a guayabera. Maybe smoke some cigars. No, no cigars. But uh, maybe just get some of the sign. Oi, oi, que pasa? I told him the expression viejo, which is what you call your dad, and it means old. And he's running with it. So he goes, hey, Biejo. Hey, Biejo. So annoying. So annoying. I didn't sign up for that. I am a Biejo, though, quite frankly. So as good as Kim Moon Juan is viewed as a player from John Thorrington and Bob Bradley and all the powers that be, there is an opportunity because of him being Korean to engage a new fan base. And that's an opportunity I know LAFC is jumping in as they should. I'm going to jump in too. I can't wait to meet him and see uh, him play because there is, we, you know, talking to many Koreans, there is that connection. You know, it's a, it's, there's an identity. It's a, it's, it's a country that has deep roots here in Los. It's a country whose people have deep roots in this city. And 
you you don't want to force it. This was a player brought in because of how he plays, but now you have this opportunity. So this is, uh, you know, again, a, a, an opportunity and a game-changing situation for LAFC to seize this moment, and we will get to see it. And look, it's the, the tape you see and everything about him, it's very optimistic. What else happened? Oh, Brian Rodriguez. We're keeping tabs of him here. He has played 10 minutes total in two games for Almeria in the Spanish Segunda. It's not a lot, but that's to, not to be unexpected because the transition period for him. They have a game this weekend against Lugo. And I would imagine he plays more than five minutes. One thing to remember here, regardless of how well or not well it goes, he's getting games, which will help A, help his value, and B, get him ready for a possible return here, whenever that might be. But let's not get ahead of it, too, until that process has concluded. But it's it, the better he does, the better it is for LAFC, and we all wear black and gold, so let's go, Brian. And I, for one, would love to see him back here with that experience. Remember, as we said last week, he's he's young. He's 20 years old and still in, in diapers, as I like to say, in pampers in his career. Watched a lot of uh, Champions League. Dogzo, you know what that means? Dogzo, um, denial of goal scoring opportunity. And uh, we had one of those in the Atalanta-Real Madrid game. Atalanta defender gets a red card. Real Madrid player was 20 yards away and to the left of the goal. But apparently with a defender between him and the goal too, even though he's at the other post, that was a goal scoring opportunity. He got a red card. I would argue... (laughs) That a goalkeeper hitting it from 70 yards out, a goal could be a goal-scoring opportunity the way it is defined, if he hits it well enough. So officiating, it's not cut and dry, and I wish it could be, but not too much, obviously. You don't want to take it away from the game, but this is in a very gray area, and you ask 100 people, I'd say 70 say it should have been a yellow card, and 30 say it's a red card. So I didn't think it, but always something new. Schedule will be coming out some point i think in two or three weeks and then we can schedule our spring and summer it's going to be intense it's going to be a lot of games just do the math season starts april 17th ends november the 6th midweeks and uh we'll see how it all unfolds but it's going to be exciting to see it because it means games and we hope that some point and i'm thinking optimistically and in june maybe not as optimistically in july there'll be fans at the games and from what we're hearing from major league soccer they're going to backlog it so that these games uh can be in place where they can have the most effect with supporters in the building so that's the next thing to look at and I, as again i said next week's going to be big i can't tell you what i'm not i don't break stories nor do i want to so i let other people's break it then i'll report it here you're never going to hear anything first here not never but usually not the case and but there's something in the air. You know what I mean? There's something in the air. So we will see it. When we return, it's Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. We're talking South America and the role it will play in the development of Major League Soccer. This is Inside LAFC. We are back here on Inside LAFC. And it's always a, it's always a thrill to welcome in Felipe Cardenas, not just because he's Felipe Cardenas, but also second time on the pod. That is rarefied air, my friend. Oh, my are you serious? Like, I figured, I mean, maybe I was one of many that had been welcomed back. But if I'm in a rare group, now I'm really flattered and honored. Thank you. I think it's like four or five people. 
I had okay. Tenorio on a second time. John Thorrington's been on, on a couple occasions for obvious reasons. And uh, maybe like two or three others. Wait, we won't get into that, but that's a that's a story for another day. I, maybe <laughs> some people who listen in, if you can tell us all the people who've been on here twice, we'll get you a hat or a shirt. Or I actually have a box of Cliff Bars that uh, one of our sponsors gave us. So maybe I can give that out. People sure, love the bars. Yeah, free stuff. <laughs> So, uh, Felipe, before I go, uh, this is like the slowest, it feels like the slowest week. I mean, in MLS with news, uh, it was because things were flying with the schedule release. Now training is going to come up and I think it's going to kick into a high gear again. But this week wasn't as much the player signings with the exception of what was happening with Atlanta and more so than last week. And Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic, if you don't follow him on Twitter and obviously on The Athletic, I start my day and read a couple articles from there. As I, at least I try to most of the days, but it makes me a much smarter soccer football fan. But uh, I wanted to bring you on and we we're going to talk about South American scouting, which LAFC are knee deep in as well. And that is, you know, the MO of the club and Atlanta United with hiring an Argentine coach or bringing some Argentine players as a, a kind of a mark two for the club. And you're covering it. So uh, we'll we'll have a bigger conversation about South America, but let's start with Atlanta and start with the man on top and an idea of how you how you see the addition of Gabriel Heinze and the coach and the three players that they were able to bring in. It's three, right, that they brought in from uh, Argentina, the three main ones I'm thinking? Right now it's three, yeah, and and it could be more. I mean, I think what that, that's the whole – that's like the first part of the Heinze story. It's like not only is he hired in Atlanta and it's – you can call it a coup for MLS because he was linked to a lot of big clubs like Palmeiras, Marseille. Um, and, and he held out and chose to come to MLS. And one of the first things that a coach like him is going to want to do when I was talking to sources back in October, and when, when I started to hear, you know, this is serious, like Atlanta and Haynes are talking, uh, you know, sources are like, you know, he's going to want to choose his players. He's going to want to choose. He's that kind of, kind of coach. And I think that's very common in South America. I think that's the difference perhaps between, Europe, Europe, the coaches want to coach and, and the, this, the scouting departments and the technical directors are very experienced. I think MLS is like a different model. And when they bring in these South American coaches, they're used to being in those, those, you know, that conference room where they're choosing players and they're scouting. And this is the guy I want. This is the defender I need. This is this type of striker. And so right away, this is what you're seeing. You're seeing that come to fruition. Now the club has been public about that too. Today, Carlos Bocanegra spoke to the press, the technical director at Atlanta United. And it was one of the second times really where he said, yes, like we had deep conversations with, with Haynes about the players that he wanted. And so it, it, I guess it's like, it looks like there's a lot of activity here in Atlanta, but at the same time, it was expected. They needed to upgrade the roster. They really did. Like it was not a good roster coming into 2021. It was not a championship caliber roster. And now I think they're just a little bit closer and you're starting to see the type of players that Hainsey wants younger, mobile, agile, fast midfielders, technical leader types of center backs. And that's why you've got Lautaro Gianetti hasn't been announced yet, but it's a matter of days when that'll be official. You know, he was his captain at Velez. Like he needs players that are, aren't going to be caught with like, deer in headlights when they start training. And that's why he's chosen these very specific players. And I think you'll see a difference once play starts in Atlanta. I feel like a donkey because I called him Heinze and my whole life. And he was, I love, but it's Heinze. It's Heinze, but I've done it too my whole life. And like I said, when I started to go knee deep into 
this coach, he's coming here. I need to, I need to, I need to obsess. I don't want to upset him when I meet him because he's, he's a tough dude. Yeah. He's a tough, he's tough. With the like you've got to come and like be prepared, right. With your questions. And so I'm not going to be the one that flubs his last name the first time I get <laughs> Leave that to me. But <laughs> it's an you mentioned the hire. So it, and it, I, I'm a fan and I watch a lot of the Argentine game. I mean, what he did at Vélez, it, it was a club that was dormant. It was a, a big name, a champion in the 90s. He resuscitated them. They were successful. They were competing in international tournaments. They were developing young players. I know they have a player there that's probably untouchable for MLS and Almada will probably go to Europe for big, big money. Yeah. And he did everything right. And you mentioned the coach. I mean, this is a guy that I want to say in the, in the guise of MLS, even though it's Atlanta, because this is an LAFC podcast, but what's good for the league is good for all the clubs. Right. To get a coach like this in the league that has this, first of all, this pedigree as a player, and you know, we'd watch him play for the Argentine national team and he was so fiery and, emotional and you you just gravitate to watch him some would say a little bit you know a little dirty at times but that's what made him you want a guy like that on your team now he's been a success as a coach and we add him to this incredible collection of coaches we have in mls including our bob bradley matias almeida uh, it's very exciting and uh that's a lot of know-how coming here and uh you know a, a high tide raises all boats you'd like to see but no i, I want i can't wait to see him on the sideline and you mentioned Janetti, who's the defender who's ready to play, pop in. Uh, Santiago Sosa, who is like the big signing, uh, kind of a box-to-box defensive guy. Yep. And then Lisandro Lopez, who people probably remember. He's he's probably older than Heinz, Heinz or he's about the same age. He's but he's going to be in here for a couple of years to get some goals. It's like a nice collection. And then there's Franco Ibarra, the 19-year-old who... You know that that's an interesting signing, and and you know it's it's part of that young money type of signing. But like to back to Hainsa, again, he's also a young coach. He's forty two, um, and even though his reputation is already, you know, very well established in South America, he's a young coach. He doesn't have a ton of experience. He doesn't. He's not coming here like Tata did. Tata was coming off of Argentina national team, Barcelona, Newell's titles. Um, and so I think that's the biggest difference. A lot of people want to say, oh, it's going to be like Tata. No, I mean, they have similarities, I think, culturally, but uh, Hainsa, again, young coach who I think he'll see this opportunity as another example of, yes, I can take a team that needs to wake up, you know, a club that expects to be at the top. And, and again, Argentina's juniors, they were in the second division. He got them to the first division in Argentina, a historic club, Diego Maradona's childhood. Is that Ibarra? Was he an Argentino juniors guy? So is that the connection? Okay. Yeah. So Ibarra probably was at the Academy, you know, maybe at the time as a 14, 15 year old, Heinz is like, this kid can play. And maybe that's how this happened. But uh, you know, Velas, like you mentioned, they were not doing well. They were close to relegation. And then Heinz comes and gets them to, you know, I think a third place finish, Copa Sudamericana back to back. And so now at Atlanta, it's like a different situation, but it's a team that like is coming off a terrible year. You know, they didn't make the playoffs. You know, they need they need this shot of energy. And I, I think that's part of why you need a personality like that. You can't, you know, Frank DeBoer, you know, I, personally, I really liked Frank. I think a lot of the players did too. Just these guys, especially South Americans, they, they need that grind. They need that intensity. They need to get to the training pitch and understand that, like, I'm here to work. It's not, it's not just a job. You know, this is like, this is why I came. So 
So, so hindsight, I agree. It's like, I know this is a big LA. <laughs> you said hindsight. Oh, hindsight, <laughs> hindsight. This is an. I'm going to report you to the club. Hainse. That's Hainse is hard. I don't want to sound it's, but it's it's it's, 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 it's you really got to practice it. Hainse. Hainse. We're yeah. we're going to get this. Hainse. So so I know this like you said is an LAFC pod, but I think it's like you want coaches that are tacticians that are kind of obsessive about the the, the formations, the philosophies, and the essence of the game and the romanticism of the game. Bob Bradley, in my opinion, is that type of coach. Like he's an American coach, but he's He's a tactician. He's a mastermind. He loves the game. He understands like the culture and how, how important that is. Sometimes it's culture over tactics for coaches like these guys. And so I think if I'm an LAFC fan, like you want to see these guys come. Lozada, Hernan Lozada at DC United, another young Bielsa type of coach that, you know, this league I think is made for those guys because you can come here. The style of play is wide open. If you want to man mark all over the field and press like, you know, MLS fans are going to be like, yes, more of that, please. So that's the type of style that I think we'll start to see more in this league. By the way, don't you like saying the Argentine club names? Isn't it like Argentinos yeah. Juniors? Yeah. Racing <laughs> Club. Racing. Yeah. I you mean, have a favorite? I mean, honestly, like randomly, I, I do like Racing. It's like back in the like early 90s and me too by the way that's the one that always tug up my heart a little and that was it's because of my dad like he there was something randy we would watch through these like highlight shows back in the day um on sundays you could get like the the resumen of argentino football you'd watch that with your dad and i would watch that with my dad and like at this time um this a colombian defender gerardo bedoya i don't know if you remember him he was i remember that was the year they won the championship remember they hadn't won it and then he was part of it and everything changed for that club yeah and like mostaza merlo the coach mostaza merlo you know just like all this and then the fan the fans at racing were just like insane and the the rivalry with independiente i just thought it was like this club is there's something about that club and so that's always been kind of like my squad between boca river i'm more Boca also just FYI. Yeah. Okay. But, right. Because I want to say about Racing, I'm, I'm a very neutral observer, but you like it. By the way, the coaches, the nicknames, Mostaza, which means mustard. Yeah, Mostaza yeah. Merlo. There was Alfio Basile, Coco, who talked like this. I mean, yeah. he looked he looked like just not that he looked like, but the way he dressed and presented. He had like the toothpick in his mouth and the collar off. Dread, his, he looked smoking. like something out of Goodfellas. It was amazing. And he, and yeah, he was like smoking on the sidelines, you know, like always had a cigarette. And then Hainsa, his his nickname, El Gringo, which is like it goes back to this region in Argentina where he is where he was born and raised is like has this heritage of like Europeans coming, Germans coming and establishing themselves there. So they had blue eyes, blonde hair. And he, that was the nickname. They go, why do they call you El Gringo? Well, oh, that's pretty straightforward. It's like, you know what I I do all the time. And, and you mentioned the cigarettes, uh, Cesar Luis Menotti, who's a, you know, mythical coach, gay, a world cup winning coach, always had a cigarette. So every time I did searches with him, maybe five years ago and two years ago, and I was terrified to see if he was alive. Cause I, I equated the cigarettes. I go, maybe he's still with us. He's still he's he is the general manager of the Argentina national team. Like he's I, actually working still. Well, uh, eighty two, and I mean that's still you you want to hit nice, but maybe he wasn't maybe it wasn't as bad. But I always saw a cigarette in his hands oh, in oh, interviews. Yeah. It was so it was so cool. It was so cool. I know it's a it's a hazard to your health. I've never smoked a cigarette. Don't smoke. But Don't seeing smoke. him, you just sit there and go, that's amazing. But that's another era. 
All right. So I'm going to pivot from it. I want to start with the Atlanta, but let's talk about, and I want to pick up what you said about how Argentine coaches look at MLS as a great opportunity to be able to get their tactics where they get a little, they get facilities, they get some money behind these clubs. If they want to buy players, not crazy, but more than you would imagine in Argentina and they get some freedom. So that is very appealing. And now LAFC is in the market with players and they have a good scouting system. And we've seen it with a lot of clubs. Austin signed an Argentine player, Cincinnati signed it. We could talk about Brazilian got Brazil. I mean, Brazil has been untapped, but they got Brenner, which is a big signing as a Ford for 13 million. Uruguay, obviously with that connection LAFC. So we could make it about Argentina, but when you see that coaches, and I, I, I think I asked you this in the last one, but it's, this question but it's probably evolved when you see the coaches and the players their perception of mls you mentioned that about the coaches but how do they generally view it as yes a, a step to maybe go in europe but maybe as a final destination or yeah. a place where you can go play five ten years for sure and and since the last time i was on and we talked about south american you know scouting and and and, and that pipeline i've been able to have other conversations with sources in argentina and or just in south america in general not just argentina uh, and it's interesting to hear them, you know, but whether they're youth coaches or they're, they're, they're scouts or their agents, uh, the way they are now, how they see MLS. So like, it's, I find it fascinating that there's no longer this stigma among the people that are working in football. Like the and there was a stigma. It was, there's, a, it was nasty. Yeah, I think it still exists, but like the people that are kind of knee deep in development of youth players in, in, in South America, the agents that are that are representing younger players that are looking to, for, for their players to move on from South America and find new markets. Those guys understand what MLS is. They understand where MLS is going and they want a part. They want their players here. They want to become part of this, you know, essentially the global market that is MLS. Uh, and now with the U22 Young Money Fund, that still doesn't have an official name, but we're calling it Young the Young Money Fund. Um, you know, MLS clubs will be able to sign several U22 players. It's like you can spend DP level transfer fees on a player that's under 22, but they're not going to hit the cap as a DP. So they're they're making less than DPs, but you can pay, you know, PT Martinez style transfer fees, and that is what is piquing people's interest in South America. They're like, oh, not only can is, is MLS a, fruit, a fruitful market for these players, but now the younger players, there's an incentive. There's an incentive for, for teams to sell players. There's an incentive for MLS clubs to go out and get those players. And there's going to be an incentive from agents to market younger players to these clubs. And so it's you're going to see it really starting to open up in markets that aren't just the big markets like Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil is like you said, it's, it, it doesn't have a deep history with MLS, a rich history with MLS, but it's, it's the, what the country that really produces young players all the time. Uh, Colombia, Ecuador, um, you know, Chile, like all these countries that I think are going to start to, we're going to start to hear about players coming from those countries more often because there's going to be more opportunities. The young player, the young money player, and I read your article. What's your, you read, wrote, I, I Sam, Sam, Sam that's right. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, Sam Stasekul, also a former guest here. I, the, <laughs> you guys make my podcast very listenable. So I appreciate that. Uh, you have to be, just give some of the, uh, as much of the data, you know, you have to be under 22. 
these are the questions because I don't know. I remember I don't retain it, but under 22, mm-hmm. can you move if you had a, a DP? And I don't think there's any out there. And Diego Rossi's 22, but could you move a guy to that, or is it a new signing? I, I would imagine LAFC is going to be active there because of those relationships, and there's going to be a guy they like that fits the bill. Uh, what are those things that we should know as maybe a, a rough uh, guidebook to follow? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like the most, I think the one rule, some of these rules are not in place yet. That's the number one thing. Like, it is not official. So, um, but I think the one rule that will stick is it, it, right now it seems to be up to three players. So, you, so teams can sign in each window up to three under twenty-two players. Uh, the one of the biggest questions that has that's come a, up, that's a lot of players potentially. That's I think that's still a lot of players because then you're you and plus you have three DPS. So a good a, a well-managed team can potentially have six DP level players on the field. Okay, like. Again, now you mentioned Tiago Almada. That's the type of DP level player. Not every under 22 player, I believe, is going to come and be that level. It's just it's just too much to ask. And there's, there's a lot already, of competition out there. There's a lot of competition. And, and here the, we're talking about Atlanta. You know, Ezekiel Barco is this case study for what happens when you bring an 18-year-old and you sign him into a DP contract. What do those expectations look like? You know, th- that there's a big difference there now. Like Franco Ibarra, who's going to become over from Argentina's juniors to Atlanta, he's 19. He's not going to be a DP. He won't be expected to produce DP numbers like Barco was expected to do. And has that's, lot, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. It's a lot of pressure on Barco to do that for, for a kid. And it was the transfer fee. He was a record transfer fee for 13 million at the time before PT Martinez. Um, and so to your question about like, Hey, if I have a 20 year old and he's a DP, like, you know, Diego Rossi, for instance, um, can I buy him down and make him a U22 player? Well, that's that's going to be really difficult to do because if you're then asking the DP to make a lot less money, okay? So I don't think Barco, if, if Atlanta comes and says, hey, you know, we want to bring in another DP, we're going to sign, we're going to turn you into a U22 player. You're asking Barco to go from making about over a million dollars a year to the maximum for U22, which is like 600,000. He's going to be like, bro, no, I'll go to a, Sell me. Okay, that was a so. dumb question on my part. I go, hey, by the way, <laughs> this new young market DP, I know you're making a million bucks, but we're going to get you in at 600. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> but everyone has asked that question because it's like, it's not clear. It's not clear. MLS rules are so bizarre, right? So, uh, but but again, I think that the, the, the big story and, and that people need to, I think, understand is that these guys are going to come here. They're going to be young. They're unproven. You know, you mentioned Santiago Sosa as like the big signing for Atlanta. And it's true. He's the big $6 million signing for Atlanta. Guess how many professional appearances he has? 20. Okay. Uh, he was a substitute in the Copa Libertadores. Like, but is that like, is you have to be kind of, and I'm not saying knee jerk, but you have to act fast when you, you see that. I mean, I know they went after uh, uh, Caicedo. Uh, the Ecuadorian guy went to Brighton. Uh, and I, I, he's fantastic. He's got a bigger sample size, obviously. And I saw Sosa and he was good, but it's like, yeah, he's like, all right, we're, we're kind of going on a, a, a little bit of tape here. Totally. Like Kai said, exactly. Yeah. Moises Kai said though is next level. You're not going to find 19 year olds that start at the senior national team level. He, he's are, their best player for Ecuador. Yeah. I saw him, I go, he's their most important player. And he's 19. He's like, so right. the national team. Yeah. Like influential at that position, a boxing boss player, 
can do it all young. And, and again, like, like I was told that Atlanta was really close. So wow, I think what that says is that clubs like the ambitious clubs, like LAFC, Atlanta, uh, you know, Toronto, Seattle, they're going to be after those, that level of player. They're not always going to win. Uh, but I think these clubs, MLS clubs will start to win those battles. Um, you know, if they can stick it out in, in those, you know, deep negotiations with tons of agents and, interesting uh, parts. Yeah. yeah but to your point so it's like you look at the tape and you say and, you know, and i've spoken to, to sources in argentina and they're like he's a good player like river was high on him but he's still a, a project and he's going to come to mls and still be a project but be expected to be a core piece of the 2021 season so just different dynamics and the way this league is evolving so if lafc and $600,000 or $500,000 is not a million dollars. It's still a lot of money and a lot wow. more money than these guys are probably making in Argentina. So if LAFC pushed all the buttons, I'm not saying they will, and they have their three DPs and they go after three young guys, 1920, that you would hope to play. Am I, am I being a prisoner of the moment or am I, is it, is it wrong to think that this is a, a game changer? I mean, because we talk about depth and next up, but this could be a game changer for the quality of this league because if you get three you hope at least one pans out maybe two maybe all three but now i see a, a roster with a lot of exciting names with a lot of money behind it obviously so it's not going to be for every club exactly yeah it definitely favors the 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 bigger clubs the more ambitious clubs and that was something that sam wrote in his piece is that you're going to see lafc atlanta seattle uh, you know, really take advantage of this uh, because they have the money behind them. They, they perhaps are, are more open to, we want to bring in younger players. Not every MLS club is, is, is into that. You know, some of the MLS clubs are still bringing in. Not into spending players. money. Exactly. <laughs> basically Which I don't blame them. I'm not into spending money. I hear you. I hear you. Um, but, you know, to your point, it, it is, it's a game changer in my opinion. And, and it's something that Sam wrote is like, like, Every few years, MLS has like a new rule that changes things. You know, you had the Beckham rule, which became the DP rule. Um, and, and there were there were other mechanisms throughout that TAM, you know, the targeted allocation money that allowed teams to spend a little bit more. Those are game-changing mechanisms. Now, this one, I think, is a game-changer because it, it, it propels the league to what they want to be. They want to sell players. They want to be the selling league. Uh, I believe this is a league that wants to stay, you know, attack minded that when people think of MLS they're thinking of wide open games goals and and young players and fast soccer and so like that's going to favor younger players younger more agile mobile players uh and 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 just like you said from the player's perspective you know John Javier Duran a 17 year old six foot two number nine from Colombia uh, has already been signed for by the Chicago Fire. Now he won't arrive until next year because he's 17. He can't even sign. This is the poster boy for the young money DP. He's one of the D poster boy. Yeah, like, yeah. and he won't be here until next season. But this is a guy that, you know, in Colombia already scouted, already highly regarded with maybe seven professional appearances. That's it. But when he was in the youth system, he was scoring tons of goals. And, and, and he's the type of player, his youth coach who I spoke with said, he knows that this move to MLS is going to help his family for the rest of their life. It's like that wow. type of, it's that type of money. And they, they aren't concerned about, Oh, he's going to the U S and he's not going straight to Europe. They're like, cause we know when he gets to the U S you mentioned it, Max, he's going to be at the facilities are going to be top notch. 
honestly, the coaching should be better, should be at least more organized. Um, at, at, you know, Chicago, we'll see, but like, um, there's going to be opportunities for him to play, to grow, and then eventually move on to Europe. So I think it'll just depend on what clubs want, what types of players they want, um, and, and, and how, you know, how risk averse a certain club may be, because you're taking a risk by signing a 19 year old to a lot of money. Um, and the clubs in Argentina are going to be like, Oh, you want this 19 year old? <laughs> All of a sudden they're going to they're say, okay, well, he was 2 million last year. Maybe he's 5 million now. Um, and so you're going to see this battle happening. I think it's going to be really interesting for the league. A lot of chess matches. And that's why, you know, having these guys that are good in these negotiations and, Obviously, if you go into those positions, you're going to do what's best for your club. And sometimes you'll have to overpay. But two things that will stick, stick out and then I'll move to the next subject is you mentioned that MLS getting this perception of being a very exciting league, your young players. And, you know, that's a that's a massive moment, too, because if you can tell fans, new fans, because you have this new infusion of young South American players of which. One could just might be the next, who knows, Lionel Messi, late bloomer. He was good at 17. By the time he turns to 18, he's amazing. So you're, you're broadening that and you're collectively have these guys that will bring that exciting brand. Cause they know they're going to be in a league where sometimes defense is optional. You'll score a lot of goals, but Felipe, I, I like good defending, but that sounds like a good product. That's not like something yeah. I want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I, I tweeted about, I think last week where I felt like the next evolution of young DPs or young players, they might be defenders. That doesn't mean the league is all of a sudden like we're shifting and we want to be defensive. You just want young, exciting, capable, technical players. And that includes defenders. That includes left backs. I mean, look at Alfonso Davies. If Alfonso, Alfonso Davies was what, eight, 17, 18 when he was playing for Vancouver. Now he's like one of the best left backs in the world. Like he would fall under this category of like a young signing that you want to give a runway to. And then you want to put eyes on him. And so uh, the other thing about the U22, though, is like that initiative should help young Americans, too. Yeah. I mean, let's we, be honest. Like, yes, you know, internationally, this league is, is, is really pushing that way. And, and so that's why a college age draft pick finds it so difficult to compete in MLS, because you get to the you get to your first training camp and you're surrounded by international players that are younger than you and more experienced than you. So I think the young academy level 17 18 19 year old american now those players should have an opportunity to to stay in mls but be a high you know high paid well paid um dp level type of signing if you're u22 so it should propel young americans as well i just think right now the the, the start is going to be south america and and in la lafc's case you know the the one thing that i feel has to also be working is you need to be, you need to convince the player, you need to convince the club where he's coming from that he will be successful. And so LAFC has that already. Like, look, we're, we're a good team. We're a top club. Look at it. Look at the fans. Look at the environment. Look at the style of play. Look at the coaching. Look at our team. Um, you know, that goes a long way. And then you can point to certain players, Cienfuentes, Palacios, Rossi, you know, different countries represented um, and all playing a certain style. So it's not like, like you said, not every MLS club is going to like walk into South America and do well in these negotiations. You've got to have the product and the business side behind it, the infrastructure, the stadium, the fans, and the style of play that matters. And I'm glad you said that about the American player, because we need to, you need to make the American player whole. 
And yeah. you need to develop them because it feeds back in the national team. We have this group of young Americans that are now quickly moving to Europe, which helps facilitate that. But expansion obviously helps that. There's going to be a lot of clubs here and a lot more work, but eventually that's going to cap. But you want these Americans to know that there's a pipeline of young players to say, look, I can, I can get that. So this all good news. All there's something else. I, I was going to ask you about, you know, CBS had a big announcement with they're going to get some of the, uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers and a few other properties. And they also mentioned Argentine and Brazilian league. And, you know, it, it's such a mystery. Some of those leagues we're talking about it. We watch it, but this is something I think the, uh, the regular soccer fan should at least kick the tires on a bit. So if you wanted to sell that, if you wanted to say, sell people on watching those, what would you, how, what would be the hook to watch those I, games? I, I'd say watch the next big thing at starters, but what would you think? Right. Like the, the, the relationship, the developing relationship with MLS, I think it's a great way for fans to know who these players are that are coming here. Like you might catch a player uh, and like him. And then all of a sudden he's in the news, he's linked to an MLS club and you know why uh, that's the first thing. But I think also just culturally understanding the, the differences between South American leagues, they're not all the same. Not every South American player is coming here and, and has the same profile. And in Argentina, yes, we, we, we like to talk a lot about their football and their coaches and their players, but it's not like you turn on every Argentine league game and you're like, this is the best soccer I've ever seen. <laughs> no. It's not like you turn on the Brazilian Serie A and say, this is the highest level of ever. No, 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 it's not. But you'll notice a style. You'll see why certain players can excel in other leagues. You'll, know, you'll see different techniques, different tactics. You'll, you'll get to know these massive massive historical clubs too and and what how they play how they develop players the pressure that is on these players and these coaches um you know i think ideally you want to see this post-covid because then you can really get into you know the, really the history and the way these teams are and the home and home field advantage and the stadiums and all that but if anything i think the selling point is getting to know a league that will begin to really work closely two leagues that are starting to work closer with, with mls uh, and, and you're going to see younger players um, and, and just a different style. I just think it's like, I think Argentina, when I watch it, I expect guys that are just, they just don't stop running and they will kick you. They will play. You'll spot guys that are like, whoa, that guy, that guy's good. Um, and, and you'll see that every, that the Argentines come here and they're like, in Argentina, games are difficult. They're hard to play. They come to MLS and they're like, it's open, it's wide open. So it's understanding those differences and why perhaps they're looking at MLS as, you know, a platform. That's a good answer. <laughs> it's a, well, it, it's a, it's so amazing those countries to know how many players develop and don't, and so many games and so many teams and so many b strange circumstances where they, the stadiums and yeah. as you said, the physical nature, it's, it's fascinating. And we just want to, it just add it to your your portfolio as a soccer fan. So you, you sound smarter. You're good. And that's a good feeling. Yeah. It's the information age. Just watch it all. So. We have so much access. And look, CBS, to your original question, like clearly they are all in on soccer. And I think as a fan, it's it's like I think we're all still confused. Like, well, what's what what service do I need? Like, which one do I need to download? What what is worth paying for? I don't think we're still, I don't think we know yet. I don't think we, there's a, there isn't one app. There isn't one service that has everything, but to CBS's credit, they clearly understand that a European football, the champions league was a big deal. They went after it and they got that. They got that license for English language. 
Um, and I think in, in the short term, they've proven that they can carry that brand. You know, the, the studio team has been well received. Uh, the, the product in this COVID type of world is good. You know, like they've, they've, they've hired the right people. Uh, I still think it's a work in progress, but they are now going after other leagues. And so uh, for the fan, it, it's, it's great for us. It's great for anyone that is just wants to see more soccer. You've got ESPN Plus that they're scooping up more leagues, you know, like kind of random. Like I think they've got like the Austrian league now or something or Norwegian. I don't know. But um, if you want to watch, I saw the Austrian. (laughs) Was it, was it the Austrian? Yeah, it was the Austrian league. And it's, it's, they're broadcasting it here from the States. They put the English audio because I guess they don't have one. And then because of Brendan Aronson, they're going to cover Red Bull Salzburg game. So we had to know it's, I know it's coming somewhere from Florida or something, but it was like, what this world are you living? This is, this is incredible. We have an English commentary from the United States for the Austrian league. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, what you do, Max, and like other, other guys that are calling South American football in English, I don't think that gets enough credit. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. And I think that audience, that is like, I feel like that's like a goldmine audience. Those are the people that they're younger. They're, 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 I think they know more soccer. They're more intrigued. They're more into um, international soccer and, and, and those tournaments. So look at the look at the 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 variety that there is right now. Before I don't I don't think that existed. I think now the problem is there's like there's just so much there's so many different platforms that I think as a as an audience people are debating like okay do, which one is the one that I need. It's not always cheap, you know, and I think it's still there's still like a habit of changing and doubling down and just like okay I'm going to stream everything. Um, but to me, that is the future, man. Like, I think eventually everything will be streamed. All sports will be streamed. So get in on it now while you can, I think. Tell my mom who still has a uh, rabbit ears go. I don't know. I'm not getting that. She doesn't watch soccer or sports for that matter. Felipe Cardenas of the athletic. Check him out. He is the gold standard these days. Atlanta United to have a guy, an extra layer of coverage. You, You are very lucky and We look forward to more people of your standard covering this league because it makes us big time. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, That was an awesome conversation. I hope you uh, get a little wiser from all this because it's really interesting. And it's, it is with all that we talked about, it's a moment in time, certainly on how these clubs in major league soccer are built. Well, thanks Max. And I'll say this to the listeners. I mean, I I'm working on stories that are LAFC focused right now that, that should they're progressing throughout this off season and once the season starts and access gets a little bit better, I think those, those stories are going to come out, but I've, I've concepted LAFC stories. I'm reporting on those. You, so you, would, you did the uh, El Trafico story. I did that with one. Rich. That's why we talked with Rich Orozco. That was when we, we I'll first never forget Rich. I will never forget Rich. This is a guy that, that was one of the best interviews I've, I've done, man. And it was a great story that, I mean, and you nailed it. Time. Not saying it. it was like my editors were like, Felipe, keep you keep complaining about that story. Just write it. Just write it. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do it. And it was fun. It was fun. It's so confusing. We were like, what do we do? And it, and like everyone's like, okay, this is the name. The supporters don't like it, but it's so far-fetched. The media's calling it that. So you're what are you doing? It's kind of it was, I think it was a very their timing was perfect. It was interesting. And obviously, you take away what Eduardo Twista said and he hit it on the nail it's like it's that's not football that's traffic i like del trafico but i've learned to like it less and i'm ready to call it uh, el clasico angelino which was dubbed by carlos vela he calls it that vela calls it that straight up and and you know when the players have an opinion that's when you know like 
that carries what that carries weight. It carries. It carries. That matters, man. It matters. Felipe, thank you. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe inside LAFC. We're getting closer to training camp. Things are going to pick up. Be patient. It's going to be. It's going to. It's going to be a very, very rosy spring.